Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Hello, everybody. Welcome into The Daily Sales Show by Sell Better. I'm so glad that you're here joining us. We have just like a wonderful Thursday treat for you. So if this is your first time, welcome in. You can catch us every day, same time, same place. Our entire list of shows is at sellbetter.xyz. If you are tuning back in, welcome back. We love to see where you're calling in from, dialing in from, watching in from. Go ahead and put in the chat for us. If you change your chat settings to everyone so we can all see in that little blue box there, that would be awesome. Oh, hello from Pakistan. Welcome. Um, Okay. Let's jump right in. Huge shout out to our sponsors. Thank you so much to our partners for making this show possible. JB Sales, Vidyard, and Gong, thank you all so much. We are also going to drop a quick link in the chat here. Gong's forecast tool. If you've used them for call recordings before, but you haven't checked out their forecast tool, it's awesome. There's some AI power behind it. Uh, There's a link there for you to check it out. But today we are talking about uh, becoming a top performing sales rep in all different aspects of what that means. So mentally is really where we're going to focus a lot of our time and energy today because that's where it all starts. I'm joined by the fabulous Ian and Kyle. Can we do like a, what's your favorite wave? I need like a a nice on-air wave. I go for the double. We just make it real weird. I just, I'm boring. This is just a little bit like this. I I'll do whatever you think is best. You get like the elbow in there sometimes, you know, it makes it, yeah. You got to keep it interesting. I'll never do that <laughs> one again. <laughs> I liked it. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Excited to dive in. <laughs> Same. I want to do a quick poll to see who's in the room and then we will um, check out what's going on here we go let's guys technical difficulties here on a thursday here we go let us know what role you're in if it's not on the list stick it in the chat um but let's see what we're going to talk about we're going to talk about activities to focus on to get maximum results uh we're going to talk about a little bit about developing like your own persona and your own selling style and then some of the tactics that both Ian and Kyle are using to like maintain that mindset. And before we jumped on this call <clears throat> or you know just today we were talking about this research um I know Stanford's done a study that talks about mindset and how much of a significant role that plays in determining our personal life outcomes. It influences how we think, how we feel, how we behave. And we were sharing just like the state of mental health. So um, I, I'm curious, I want to just start off here in terms of like where mental health is for sales professionals today and quick fire, like rapid fire. What do you think has been like impacting? There's a a ton of reports that are showing a decline in mental health for salespeople. Um, I know Uncrushed is a great organization that shares a lot of data around it. What do you guys think is like contributing to that in terms of factors? Ian, you want to start us off? Sure. There's a lot going on in sales specifically. I coach uh, salespeople, so I hear it every day. Number one is rep quota attainment has gone way down in in sales as a performance sport. So 
when people think they're only as good as their number and they're not hitting their number, it can have a major toll in how they feel about themselves, their confidence, their bank account, which then can spiral to other areas, family, personal thoughts between your ears, et cetera. That's one thing. Number two is it's just harder to sell right, than ever before. And a lot of companies are not training and enabling and reps feel alone. They feel like they're trying to figure it out on their own. They don't have support. They don't have community. They feel isolated, which contribute to, to mental health. And um, they're just not necessarily empowered with the skills or the tools to sell in this new environment. And so that combination of underperforming and not having the support can really um, hurt people's uh, confidence. And, and just, I have people questioning and hitting a wall, people who've been in a sales for 20 years say, I don't know if this is for me anymore. I I think I'm done, you know, and it just, it's, it's everywhere. It's very common. And then the third thing is just not feeling appreciated at work. You know, people feel there's been a lot of layoffs this year and there's been a lot of um, downsizing in tech. And I think that, you know, dehumanizes um, people in, in terms of connected to their purpose and their companies more so than ever. So that's, that's what I'm seeing with, with uh, uh, my coaching clients, at least. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go ahead and second everything Ian just said. I mean, this is a really, really interesting time. And it's not only just salespeople, it's all people in general. So what we're seeing is that we're driven by, and this is constant, we're always driven by desires. And sales is a desire, like desires baked into it. I desire to hit my quota. I desire to get promoted. And these desires, we believe, once fulfilled, will allow us to experience happiness or, or experience fulfilledness. What ends up happening is you add this temporary relief. You hit your quota this month. Now in sales, it resets. So that's already baked in. It's difficult. But even if it didn't reset, immediately you have satisfied the desire, which makes you feel a little bit better, of course. But now there's some other desire that needs to be fulfilled. And we're on this constant quest. And the more difficult our external circumstances get, the more that it feels unattainable to satisfy these desires, which causes suffering. And salespeople, I think, are feeling this today more than ever because it is, everything Ian said, more difficult to sell. There's more variables involved now. And that could cause a lot of people outside of sales, inside of sales to feel like they're lacking the fulfillment they need to feel happy. I love that, Kyle. And I, I didn't think about that, but general lack of purpose, lack of clarity. Why am I doing this? Is it just for the money? Is it just for the performance? And it's like emptiness, right? It's external validation versus connecting to a deep intrinsic motivation or purpose. So that's a great call, Kyle. I think about like both sides of what you just said. And I've seen in the chat, like a couple of people talking about like the process and like disconnecting from outcomes. And I'm curious about like activity wise, is there one thing, one activity or um, practice that you can point to, to say, this is something that uh, this process or this activity set me up for success in my sales career? You want to take that, Kyle? Or I can jump in first. So I, I think there's a collection of activities. So one thing that's greatly benefited me throughout my career as a, uh, I started as an SDR I was an account executive for a bit. I've led sales teams. I run a company now. Across all of that, there are a few things that are really helpful. The first is really focusing on things that I can control. Now, we hear that all of the time. Focus on what you can't control. Focus on what you can't control. And if you're listening to that and you know that to be true, but yet you still have challenges, you might be screaming at the screen right now. Yeah, but what about all of the ways that I feel while trying to control what I can control? And there's this constant battle. And what has been very helpful for me 
is acknowledging that I am not my thoughts. I am not my emotions. I am something outside of that. And I could prove that to you if you need it to be proven, but I am outside of that. I can allow the emotions to be there, but I can behave in a way that is aligned with, um, or, or not aligned, is outside of being controlled by those emotions. Because that's the real gap we're talking about here. We can control the controllables, but if we're torturing ourselves internally, we're not even going to be able to execute on that very well. So I try, and and for my entire career, I've tried really hard, and, and I get better You know, the longer that I've done this, to separate myself from those emotions. And what the actual practice of doing that is, I believe there's two. One is doing the activities on a daily basis to um, really execute on focusing on what you can't control. And then the other side is being very conscious about how you're feeling in the moment and reminding yourself and then genuinely disconnecting yourself from the thoughts and emotions that are driving reactionary behavior. Yeah, I would I would echo everything Kyle said, and I'm going to kind of get super tactical and in, in some things that I do. So the the reason people feel guilty at the end of the day and the reason they take home anxiety and stress overwhelmingly is because they feel like they didn't get anything done that day or they didn't keep their word to themselves. Okay. And they come home and I, I call this the golden rule of time management. And it says that the quality of the time you spend at work will determine both the quality and quantity of the time you spend outside of work. Now, if you sit with that, what it means is if you actually plan your day, execute your plan, and do all you can, you can let go at the end of the day because you know you've done all you can. So you can be fully present when you're not working and you'll have more time because you're not taking the work home that you didn't get to because you were reactive and focusing on busy work versus proactively working on strategic work. So in its simplest form, it's about working a full day on the right activities so that you can be free and clear when you're not working to be happy and present. And the tactical system I use, and I've used this for three years straight, is something called a weekly plan and a scorecard. You can see it's filled out. You can see a bunch of check marks, okay? Every single week, and I'll share this with the group, every single week without fail, I write kind of a data dump of all the actions that I want to do, strategic actions, not the stuff that comes inbound throughout the day that I have to react to, but strategic actions that either create or advance pipeline in my business. Those are called revenue generating activities or RGAs. So put them all on here. You write them. What's most important? Well, it's advancing deals. It's making sure you keep momentum on the deals in play. So anything that's immediately driving revenue typically is higher rank. And then the beginning of the day, really simple. I calendar block. I block my day so that there isn't white space. And then it's up to me to actually execute what I what I plan. So most people, again, they have a lot of white space and they waste that white space with distractions or reactive work or Slack or email. I'm very, very intentional about how I'm using my time. And at the end of the day, it's like, well, I didn't get to everything, but I worked a full day. I got this much done. I can feel good about it. So this system is called the 12-week year, how to get more done in 12 weeks than others do in a year. And it's worked that way for me. It's worked that way in sales. It's worked that way as an entrepreneur. And it's very, very consistent because if you know you're doing the things that you need to do, what else can you do? You got to let go at that point. So for me, that's really what it comes down to is this planning motion. And most people don't plan their week. They certainly don't plan their day. They're working reactively and they wonder why they feel bad at the end of the day because they didn't feel like they get any, gotten anything important done and they didn't because they were just reacting to whatever came their way. So for me, planning is 
everything as far as a daily and a weekly activity. Something that both of you kind of like encapsulating that I was listening to someone speak recently. It's uh, one of my mentors talking about how a lot of us, especially in sales, are in this limbo between working and resting all the time. So it's like even when we're at home, we're reading our work email. Even when we're hanging out with our family, we're looking at work emails or like things are coming in or LinkedIn or whatever it is. And talking about the boundaries that you create for that. And if you can like put all of your effort, I different list, but same concept. I'm the same way. Like I have to do that mostly because crossing something off the list when it's on your top three, you're like, oh, this like magical moment, right? But like being able to be fully present at work and fully present at home is like this magical feeling that I don't think I ever had until recently. Um, being able to be like, no, this is this is going to be the time when I put my work email away for the evening, right? It makes a huge difference. I started putting my phone in the other room. I have two kids, two boys, three and seven, a wife that's a full-time mom. And so when I'm home, they want to have me because, you know, yeah. time is precious. So um, I started putting my phone away in the other room. And again, if you're getting emails between six and 10, do you really need to respond to them right then? No. So maybe at night I'll check it. You know, that's normal. No big deal. But what I'll do is if something comes in that needs to be responded rather than worrying about, it, I'll just drop it on the next day in some of the white space. So I know as long as it's not in my head and cluttered and it's on the calendar, I know it's going to get done. And that honestly, it frees you. It frees you mentally. Okay, so before we get into both of your top kind of your top ideas as we're moving into 2024 and mm -hmm. and the conversation that we had, I would love to see I'm going to do an anonymous poll so it won't be tracked back to you anyway, but I'm I'm just curious to see like if this tracks with you personally, if you're thinking about your mental health, where that ends up um on this scale and I want to share I'll actually bring this over on my screen as we're kind of filling this in Ian brought up this um report here we go I'll zoom in a little bit so we can see um that talks about like this is 2021 versus 2022 this is salespeople, and you can see kind of the the similarities and the differences over the year. We'll send this out just uh, in case you're interested. It has a lot of data, but just curious as to where this room stacks up and and where you put yourself in there. Completely anonymous. Um, but I, I want to share as we're finishing that up, I want to start to go through your top ideas, top conversations that we were having when we're talking about putting ourselves in the best position to succeed end of this year beginning of next year um and and kind of chat through some of these kyle do you want to kick us off yeah absolutely we could talk a bit about self-worth here <clears throat> one of the challenges i think a lot of people run into and especially salespeople, just because of the nature of the role is we tie a lot of our self-worth to hitting a number and and even just progress towards that number as well and when we don't hit that number we don't feel good about ourselves and when we do feel hit that number for a small moment of time, we feel good about ourselves. And this is a very dangerous thing to allow to happen because it means we're tying our own self-worth, what we believe about ourselves, to external things that are somewhat in our control, but not always are. 
And even assuming they are 100% in your control, is it good to tie your self-worth to something external of you? I would argue it's not. And I believe a lot of this is tied to our own internal beliefs that we have about everything that we didn't even choose to have. When you were a kid being raised by your parents, when you were at school, in middle school, in elementary school, these beliefs were, were given to you and you observe them and then you internalize them and they're not something you think about consciously, but we all go through life allowing these things that we've carried for our entire lives to dictate how we act, how we behave, and then even worse, how we feel. And that is the number one challenge I see because there's so much seeking. I, I had this desire to hit a number because then I will feel better. I need to make this amount of money so then I can uh, achieve some level of freedom. And then I can spend more time with my family so that then I can feel happy or feel fulfilled. Why did we need all the obstacles? We don't, but our ego drives so much of our behavior. And we all have, you know, I think of it almost as an IV, just drip feeding ego into our veins. And where you've been led to believe if you pull that out and you appreciate who you are in the moment and realize there is no other level, then we would truly feel that fulfillment fulfillment and that happiness because it's inside us. It's not external. But we've been we we're believing that if we pull out that IV, that we will lose the connection to the experience around us that allows us to feel fulfilled. It's not the experiences, it's right here. It's been there all along, but you don't see it because you're so tied to these beliefs that you didn't even choose to have. And all of this gets baked into our own self-worth and our perception of our self-worth, which I believe is one of the biggest challenges when it comes to mental health for for salespeople, for anybody. Al, do you, like when you're saying this, I feel how this impacts on the phone too. Like I think when we pick up the phone, it's like, are we trying to be what we think that person on the other side expects us to be? Or are we putting ourselves at that same, like you talk about levels, right? Like you well, I'll, take that to, I'll take that to a new extreme. Yeah. Sure, you might try to be something that you want to be perceived as by other people in any situation, but you're also doing it to yourself. Mm-hmm. You're behaving in a way to give yourself the perception of yourself that aligns with what you believe you should be like in order to achieve what you're trying to achieve, which I think for everybody in some level is a positive emotion of happiness, fulfillment, oneness, whatever you want to call it. And we just play these tricks on ourselves and we set up all of these obstacles to make it impossible for us to ever feel that way. And then when you strip away all this junk, this desire to be perceived by other people in a way, and let me give you a real story about this. I'll give you a real story about this. <clears throat> I was um, I was up in Canada visiting a mentor of mine, a very successful guy, has had a huge impact in my career and um, is genuinely just a really great person. I've known him for a bit now. And um, one night we kind of come in from a flight and he says, hey, Kyle, you want to go on a hike tomorrow morning? I said, yeah, sure. I'll go on the hike. That night I'm thinking to myself, what does he want to talk to me about? You know, this guy's incredibly successful, you know, over hundred million net worth. What does he want to talk to Kyle about? And I'm trying to think, oh, maybe he wants to partner with me on this. He's kind of interested in this thing. Maybe, you know, he wants to partner with me on that. Then I go on the hike and uh, it's a beautiful hike. It's in Canada. You know, it's beautiful out there. It's very nature oriented. We go on this hike and we just chat, have a good time. His dog's there. Then he goes, drives me to check out his new studio he's building. And then I went back to my hotel. He didn't want to talk to me about anything. He just wanted to hang out with me. Now, if I called you the day before the hike and I said, hey, I wonder what he wants to talk to me about. You'd be like, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Let me know what he ends up saying. But no one would have said, 
what reflection does that have on on me, my own self-esteem and my own self-worth? No one would have felt that. But in reality, that is exactly what it is. I didn't feel like I was worthy to have somebody at that level want to just hang out with me. That is the problem. And it's so deeply rooted. I didn't acknowledge it. No one around me acknowledged it. And I didn't realize it until sometime later. That was a reflection of my own self-worth. I didn't feel worthy for somebody at that level to just want to hang out. Maybe I'm fun to hang out with. <laughs> Never crossed my mind. Never. You're like, I don't know. Who would want to do that? It's like the phone calls, right? Like, who's going to want to take this call with me? Who's going to want to listen to what I have to say? Wow. Yeah, maybe you have fun. Maybe you have something good to say. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Okay. Ian, talk to us about one of yours on your list here. Um, I'm just loving Kyle's story. It's a, I know, right? A lot, of, a lot of self-awareness there. We call it imposter syndrome, right? Feeling like we're not worthy, but we're all humans. We all uh, put our pants on the same way. And that's, that's something that I really hammer home with our sessions with executives, especially when you're going to meet with the CEO. You're like, oh my gosh, what value can I add? Me, a lowly salesperson. You know what? The value is that you care about them and their business, not about you. The source is making it about us. That's the source of our misery, right? When we just show up in service and do our best, we feel good. So I love that. Um, for me, gosh, there's, there's a lot here, but I guess my number one would be my number one, it would be process thinking. So for people that don't know what process thinking is, um, Nick Saban actually coined it for any Alabama or college football fans, but it existed long before him. But if you look up process thinking, you'll see Nick, some stuff on Nick Saban, the coach of Alabama. Um, and it's focus on the activities that will produce results rather than the results themselves. So in, 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 sales, it's really simple. Don't, don't look at the scoreboard, right? It's, it's not when we think about being under quota, when we think about how am I going to get to this number, we're all at the end of, end of the year right now, it can be overwhelming. It could be daunting. What does that do? We lose hope. We get desperate. We get commission breath with clients, which is basically showing up for your own purposes versus helping them with their business purposes. So that's for me, the, the key is just what can I do every day to get the results that I desire? And if if that becomes winning versus the outcome, aka closing the deal, getting revenue, you're winning every day. And that to me is what what is life is all about. Entrepreneurship, sales doesn't matter. Sales leadership. It's really finding joy in the journey of showing up as your best self. And doing the things that you know are going to give you the best chances to get the results you want. And having that blind faith to keep trusting the process, even when you don't see the results, knowing that your time will come. A lot of times, um, I'll just share one quick story about process thinking. Um, I missed my quota three years in a row. A lot of people know me as having been the number one rep at Salesforce, but before that, I actually was really struggling and dealing with a lot of, you know, mental health issues, addiction, and um, just really low self-worth because everything to me was my sales performance and hitting it, missing it one year is bad enough, two years, even worse, three years. I mean, I didn't know who I was at that point. 
And that was kind of my rock bottom in, in sales. And I said, I, whatever I think I know, I don't know. I need to get help. And it took me on this journey to personal development. I spent $25,000. I hired a coach. I joined the mastermind. I really tried to just humble myself and say, I don't know anything. I came from selling copiers, which was like grind it, transactional, to coming to enterprise at Salesforce. And I just didn't have the tools or the skills to thrive at that level. And so what ended up happening was I started spending all this money and I'm just like humble and I'm doing all I can and getting the support. And I just really was all in. It was like, I will never, I never want to feel like a failure again. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And about two months into this journey, I think it was April or May of um, of that next fiscal year, I lose the biggest deal of my life, $1.5 million, $1.5 million. But because the work I was doing in personal development and on myself, it was like, I am not attached to the outcome. I'm just going to keep going. I know my time is coming. And I kid you not, a month later, I ended up meeting a guy named Chris Stewart, and he worked for a company called Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. And within six months, I closed an eight-figure deal, the largest of my career, the second largest in in Salesforce that entire year. And I made seven figures that year. And then every year thereafter, I made club and got to retire um, in, in pursue a dream of coaching. So I am such a believer on trusting the process, showing up every day, knowing your time will come. And even if it's fully dark and you don't see that light, you keep walking in faith. And that to me is process thinking. And it, it works every time. Even if the reward is not coming where you thought it was coming from, if it's not the deal you thought, it's going to come from somewhere else. God sees this, the universe sees it. Wh whatever you believe, there are some forces that reward people who hit that valley of despair and keep going. And the prize is almost like you don't even know. It's so close, but a lot of people give up. So that to me is everything. It's just walking in that blind faith and feeling that pain and still keeping going, knowing that it's it's going to be your time soon. Yeah. I, I had someone break down process thinking for me a while back and it was like a game changer. I would get stuck on like this big giant process ahead of me. I'm curious what you think. Like they were like, write down the process and then break things into five minute tasks. And so you're like, I, I have five extra minutes your Zoom's going to end five minutes early. Like, how? what can I do in five minutes? And then I have a list of five-minute tasks. And then pretty soon all my stuff was done and off my list. It was like a huge game changer for me mentally versus staring at a giant list of stuff where I'm like, all of these projects are too big for me to do in this tiny window. Um, like, do you chunk things down for yourselves? Like, how do you guys actually like take action on those items? I definitely do. I try to break things down into tasks that I can do in smaller increments of time. I also control my calendar quite a bit. So I have a, I have a executive assistant who manages my entire calendar and she knows like we don't put 30 minute breaks in between meetings. Kyle goes back to back and then he has three hours open. So we do tricks like that to give myself as much time as possible. I also am not, um, you know, I can work in probably an hour, an hour and a half spurts, but a bit more of a creative. I like, you know, did like run around doing random stuff every now and then. So yeah. I try to give myself a little extra time. So I think one part of it is, yes, break things down to smaller components. The other part of it is know how you enjoy working and then construct your day around how you enjoy working. And if you're disciplined about that, then you end up finding sort of that balance of um, 
kind of working on what you need to work on and what you want to work on in the ways that you like to work, which I think is important. Like all self-awareness right there. Yeah, yeah. you need to understand that. How yeah. you operate. Being, being an entrepreneur, you're, you have so many different projects. I mean, you think sales is... Yeah, sales, you're focused on your customers, your territory. Entrepreneur, you have operations, you have your finance, you have your customer success, you have delivery, you have sales, marketing. It's it's a lot. And honestly, for me, I think letting go is really important. Knowing knowing your zone of genius, knowing what you're good at and letting go and delegating things that you're not. For me, it's, I mean, I, I was thinking about this this morning and having a team that can actually do some of the things that I'm not great at, right? I outsource the bookkeeper. I have a marketing, you know, manager that helps with the website and landing pages and funnels and whatnot. It, it's everything. So, so don't try and do everything, right? If you have a project or a big thing, like go get help. And, and honestly, like, I mean, I, I came from a company that had a lot of resources when I was at sales Salesforce, we had solutions engineers, we had a business value team, we had architects, we had design thinking, like, so when I was trying to do everything myself, that's when I was really not successful. But when I leveraged my team, that's how you compound your success. You put other people to work. You have your engineer working in their lane. You have your business value team helping with you know the business cases and just leaning on others. You'd be amazed at how many people will enroll if you have a mission to help your clients, how many people will enroll to help you, your leadership team. So I think, yeah, it can be overwhelming if you're trying to do everything, but when you know that you can have things that you can delegate and have people to help you and that you don't have to do everything yourself. It, it makes things a lot easier to digest. That's magical. And I think like so many salespeople, I'm not trying to put us in buckets, but like so many of us fall into the people pleaser, the one who took on a lot of the group project work, you know, and it's like hard to be able to give up those little pieces and include other people. But that's like when the magic happens. I We have a question in the Q&A that I think flows really well with um, kind of both of your next things on your list. Ibada asks, um, how to keep yourself motivated when you're trying your best, keeping up with all these trends, but you're still not necessarily getting the results. And I mean, you talked about process thinking. I know you have consistency. I, I, I can I can give, I'm, I feel so strong about this. If you don't mind, I'll jump in. I love it. Do it. It is, it is, motivation is overrated. Motivation, you do not want to rely on motivation. Motivation comes and goes. Feeling excited to go out and do your best work is something I rarely feel. Okay. What I do rely on is commitment. My commitment is I'm going to work a full day every day, regardless of how I feel. And so if you just rely on your commitment and just say, I am detached from what happens, okay, and I am committed to doing all I can, right? That that to me is the secret. It's that consistency of showing up on the days you don't feel like it, when your motivation's not there. It's because you have integrity with who you are and who I am as someone who shows up every day, right? That's that's, you know, I work a full day. So that that to me is huge. The second thing is if what you're doing is not working, go get help. Go get some coaching from your leadership, from your company. Go talk to the best person at your company and see what they're doing. Maybe the activities you're doing aren't actually the right activities. You need a plan which has worked before. That's why mentorship and coaching is so fundamental to success because great leaders steal, right? Hot top people take what's worked before them and follow that path, follow that playbook, right? When I was trying to figure it all on my own, I failed. When I got help and they had a plan that I could trust and believe in. It was like, okay, this person's done it this way. I'm going to try to do it in a way that is consistently working. And and for me, again, that's 
everything, I still do it to that day, is have people I can follow that are more ahead of where I want to be. I have a business coach and I follow their plan and it makes things way easier. I had someone help with my brand building. So having mentorship and having a playbook that you can follow that's been proven to work makes it way easier to kind of have that commitment engine when you know what you're committing to, that it's going to work eventually. So yeah, those are my two kind of key things. Don't rely on commitment or don't rely on motivation, rely on commitment and have a plan that's been proven that you get from somebody who's a top performer or leader that you can follow. So you know, you're doing the right things. Well, I have the exact same perspective. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I look at um, uh, motivation as just another emotion that you're feeling. And then what ends up happening is you try to trigger that emotion in yourself because you believe that's what you need in order to do your best work. So then what you end up finding is you'll trap yourself where you'll manufacture environments that put you under great stress where you feel like your back's against the wall because you believe that gives you the motivation you need to be able to execute at your highest level. And now you're living in a state of anxiety and stress and you don't know really know why, but it's because your psychology is putting you in that situation because of the motivation that you need in order to do your job or live the life that you feel you should be living. And that's a very dangerous place to be. So I totally agree with Ian. You want to separate yourself from the desire to be motivated so that way you can uh, execute as your best self every single day, regardless of how you're feeling that day. I, I feel called out. It's fine. I'm I'm fine. <laughs> There is, there's something, you want to take it to extreme. Anyone who knows or listens to David Goggins, you know, it's, it's about building mental toughness, doing hard things that you genuinely don't like to do. And when you can do those things, right, it makes, makes everything else easier because you know you have it in you. So for me, I purposely do very hard things that get me out of my comfort zone. I ran two marathons um, in the past, in the past year. And I just started maybe three months ago and I hate it. I, I tell them every day, I don't want to do it. I hate it. But I just started something called calisthenics training, which is body weight training. It's pull-ups, it's push-ups, it's all kinds of funky. And now we're moving to weights. I've never liked weight training, right? I'm doing it. Yes, I want to, yeah, I want to be lean and healthy, of course, but I'm really doing it so I could be taking my own medicine and doing the things I don't feel like doing because I never feel like going there. It's early in the morning. It's 6.30 or 7 a.m. He pushes the hell out of me. He's making me do things that are like painful. And, you know, it's, it's, I, I genuinely do not enjoy it. He's like, you'll enjoy it after three or four months. I still, I told him today, I, said, I, yeah. I hate coming here, but I do it anyway. What I love is that I'm doing something that I don't want to do. Cause even during like pull-ups, I'm pulling and I feel it. I'm like, I'm going to push it. It builds that mental toughness. So challenging yourself physically, I find is a great way to build that mental toughness. Having, putting yourself in, in situations where you're forced to, um, to do hard things because you have goals, builds that commitment muscle. So again, motivation is, is really, really overrated. And, and I do think the commitment muscle you can build by doing hard things in all areas, you know, face again, there's a lot of examples, but those are two physically that I found can be really, really um, helpful just to like do things you don't want to do and just consistently do them. Okay. Want to, we'll go, we've got 10 minutes left. If you have questions, go ahead and pop them in the Q and a section and we can cover those. Um, I feel like Kyle, like, do you ever get flustered by anything? I am wondering if, uh, if there's anything that like gets you. Well, so I, and look, I'm going to get, I'll get a little woo woo on you guys here. Yes. Um, 
I we all experience emotions and fluster is an, it is an emotion and there's different levels to impacts of emotion. And so I look at, um, there's the emotion and there's suffering. I might feel pain, but I choose to suffer because of that pain. And do things come up where I can experience being flustered? Sure. Where it's like, gosh, there's a lot of things going on right now, but it doesn't cause me to suffer. And I think there's a really big differentiation there between who you really are and the experience that you're having in the moment. And because sometimes the experiences in the moment are not great, we tend to look at the past or we tend to look towards the future to where we can find peace in this, in this now experience that isn't an ideal experience. And that becomes a big problem because we start to live in the past or live in a future state, which completely dictates our present and causes us to spiral, you know, spiral down. So I use this example quite a bit where there's two darts, and this is an anecdote from Buddhism. The first dart is something that happens to you. It's pain. The second dart is our reaction to the first dart. That's the suffering. That's also happiness, right? All of these things are in us. They come from within us, but they get triggered by something external, which doesn't have to happen. I'll prove that to you in a minute. So first dart comes, let's say I walk into uh, my house and I step on a Lego. Ouch. The pain I just felt is real. I stepped on a Lego. But what if I go and yell at my kids for not cleaning the Lego? What if I get so enraged and I'm yelling at the kids because they didn't clean their, their Lego? That's suffering. And that's what happens to everyone here. And then we end up living in that state. And here's, I promise I'd prove it to you. Here's an example. Have you ever gotten a text or an email that made you really upset and then you spoke to the person and it turns out you misread it? Mm-hmm. Or we read the emotion into it. Yeah. We felt the suffering when there was no first dart. We're doing this all the time. All the time. Now, I just talked about suffering. Happiness is the same way. So there's like another story that I think is a really good one. You go and you ask a kid, you say, What's, what uh, causes happiness? They say chocolate ice cream. And then you say, well, what if I gave you a scoop of chocolate ice cream right now? They'd be like, I'd feel happy. What if I gave you two scoops? I'd feel twice as happy. What if I gave you the whole tub? Well, that would be awesome. We all know that if that kid ate a full tub of ice cream, they would feel sick before they ever finished it. Yeah. But they, the, the child believes that that would provide them happiness, but we know that it doesn't. How much time do we spend in the pursuit of external things that make us happy versus experiencing the happiness within ourselves? It's not tied to a desire. I desire ice cream. Ice cream makes me happy, yet I'll feel happy if I see a baby smile at me in the supermarket <laughs> or if I see a sunset. There's no desire being fulfilled there, but I still feel the emotion. It's because it's in here. It's not out there, but we're all looking out there in order to feel okay to experience what's actually in here. And that's what I try to separate myself. So long-winded answer, hopefully that was helpful, but that's how I view kind of being flustered or feeling emotions, but also how you respond to those emotions and the impact it has on your behavior. Beautiful, beautiful answer. Okay, let's just peek really quick. Um, okay, um, questions and topics that we should be talking about with our managers during one-on-ones that can make health or wellness part of our weekly strategy came from Anonymous. I think when I... So I got into addiction recovery in 2020 
and it was um it wasn't inpatient it was outpatient so i was get, getting a therapy and got a sponsor and just you know really in it right and at that point i could have lost my family and that was my number one priority and i talked to my manager i was coming off you know a lot of successful years i talked to my boss and i talked to my boss's boss and i said i'm having some challenges right now and you know i'll still work i'm not going on leave but i am not going to be as available or proactive i'll work my deals but i have to take care of my health and my family and i was pretty transparent about it it is amazing the openness in caring i felt as a person like you got to take care of your family and you know i opened up and kind of what i was struggling with and, and it was um they gave me space it was interesting but um you'd be surprised you know sharing sometimes and opening up um really does free you in in some sense now there's certain things you're not going to feel comfortable sharing with your manager depending on what your situation is i didn't get into all the details but i told him i was struggling and getting support but i i just was going through some stuff right now and i and i might not be as available as i was before it was just incredible um but if if you're struggling with motivation if you're struggling with anxiety i mean if if you don't if your manager is just treating you as a number or just putting that pressure on and it and you got you're not well and you're not you know able to perform your best um because of these doubts or depression or whatever we all have something everyone struggles with something and you don't open up right how can you get the help that you need so it really does depend on your relationship with your manager i happen to have worked for that manager for a few years and i felt safe and close enough because i knew he was a good person and he did care about me um but if you don't feel that from your manager it might be a lot harder the important thing is to get help right if you are struggling with mental health and and you need to get help whether it's through your company i mean i know you know there's benefits that that companies can provide to support mental health um whether it's through therapy whether it, it's different for everyone but the important thing is that knowing you're not alone and getting the help you need and your manager needs to know that, right? So they don't add fuel to the fire and make it worse. They need to know, hey, I'm going through some stuff and you know, I want to get support. Where can I turn? Should I go to HR? Should I go? What kind of benefits? I really do need help. And I'd say just just forget about the work for a second and appeal to the human side and just tell them you're struggling. And hopefully, if it's like something like I'm worried about my number, I feel anxiety, you could tell them that. They could say, hey, Here's what you can do or focus here, whatever. But if it's deeper and if it's depression or, you know, addiction or, you know, something you're really struggling with, you're going with through a divorce or whatever, like you're not, they're going to know something's not right. They're going to see it. They're going to sense it. You can't hide that. So might as well be transparent and get the support and help you need from your company. And hopefully they do the right thing and support you and give you space and don't make it worse. I found people with their hearts are generally good and you know when you speak your truth and do it in an authentic real way they're going to want to help you in whatever capacity they can or get you to the right place to get support so i would just say be open about it share what you're comfortable with and you know ask ask for help and maybe maybe that'll that'll change the dynamic with your manager i know it did for me uh, no, that was great yeah okay we have two more minutes so i just want like quick quick fire rapid fire answer what's one thing that you think everyone listening could focus on headed into the new year to like put themselves in the best place to tackle their new fresh number fresh year fresh perspective 
I think when we feel when we feel better, we sell better. And the thing that I would say has nothing to do with work. I would say make time to do the thing that fills your cup every single day. For me, it's prayer, it's exercise, it's time with my wife and my family. Those are just core things and those are non-negotiables. And people put work first and they wonder why they're unhappy or suffering. So do something every day that makes you feel good about yourself and gives you the energy that you need to show up your best. I have a morning routine. I'm a huge fan of doing something in the morning to start the day, doing something for yourself that then transcends into the workday. So that's that's mine. And I'll piggyback off that and say, spend some time with your own thoughts and determine what those are for you. We need to take a really introspective look at why we behave the way that we behave. So that way we can better understand our kind of deeper motivation so we can work to remove ourselves from being controlled by them. And I think what Ian says is really powerful there. And if you do the work and really better understand yourself, you'll find yourself getting closer to that place over time. Awesome. You guys have the best stories and this has been really like helpful. Someone mentioned like, this is the juice that I needed today. I love that. Uh, definitely soul filling. We, um, the three of us have compiled some resources. We'll send them all to you as a follow-up in terms of email, but we're going to put their information here in the chat. Also, uh, tomorrow, same time, same place, uh, we are having a show on increasing your LinkedIn reply rate with David Bantham tomorrow. So I'll put that link in the chat for everyone as well. But really, this has been amazing. Um, wonderful experience. I love, thank you for sharing so freely and for sharing your stories with us. It has been such a great chat. Anytime. Thanks for having us. We'll see you soon. Take care. Bye everyone. Happy holidays.